0: is his slave servant and his messenger we would like to begin this evening uh, with a short review of the points which we covered last week from the explanation or the sharh of al-aqidah al-tahawiyah by al-imam abu ja'fa al-tahawiyah uh, point number 72 الإمام التحاوي رحمه الله says وَلَا نَرَى الْخُرُوجِ عَلَى إِمَّتِنَا وَوَلَاتِ أُمُورِنَا وَإِنْجَارُوا We do not approve of rebellion against our imams or our leaders and those in charge of our affairs even if they are unjust Al التحاوي says وَإِنْجَارُوا Even if they are unjust unjust or oppressive وَلَا نَدُعُوا عَلَيْهِمْ and we don't supplicate against them and we do not hold back our hand of obedience to them وَنَرَى طَاعَتَهُمْ مِنْ طَاعَةِ اللَّهِ فريضة and we hold the opinion that obedience to the leaders or the rulers of the Muslims is obedience to Allah the mighty and the majestic an obligation upon us with the condition as Imam al says يعني it is obligatory on us to obey them and obedience to them is obedience to Allah يأمرون as long as they don't command us with disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or sinful behavior or sinful act lahum لهم بالصلاح and we supplicate for them on their behalf for right guidance and correction, as well as their well-being. So here it's very clear that the position of the Ahl al wal-Juma'ah is that it is not permissible to rebel against the rulers, even if they are sinful, oppressive, wrongdoing, unjust, or otherwise. And we do not supplicate against them, but in fact we supplicate for them, obedience to them is based on the condition or in light of the condition uh, that we obey them as long as they don't order us with disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we mentioned a number of hadith concerning this matter one of them reported by al-Bukhari where he said that it is an obligation on the Muslim to hear and obey in that which he loves on that which he hates as long as he is not commanded to commit any act of disobedience or act of, or sinful act and also the hadith reported by Al-Muslim, Al-Imam Muslim in which it was reported that the Prophet Sallallahu said that إِنَّمَا أَطَاعَ الْمَعْرُوفِ that verily obedience i.e. Yani obedience to the rulers or anyone in authority amongst us is in those things that are good, not in disobedience or in sinful things. The second point, point number 73, Imam Al-Tahawi says, sunnah Jama'ah." That we follow the sunnah and the jama'ah, the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, and the jama'ah meaning the companions of the Prophet wasallam, and those who came after them following their way. And we avoid and stay away from a shudhudh, any deviation from the jama'ah and the well established way, any following some strange opinion or doing strange actions or separating ourselves as individuals from the group and the main body of the Muslims and the correct way that has been established as the right way. We avoid this shudhudh and khilaf, differences and al-furqa. There any separation dividing ourselves into sects and in different groups instead of uniting on the basis of truth on the basis of the Quran and Sunnah and the way of the Sahaba. Uh, and here uh, of the things that were mentioned, uh, was the hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu advised Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiyallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with him and his father that if he reached the time where the people يعني, uh, where bid'ah became يعني, accepted as sunnah and sunnah was rejected as bid'ah uh, and the people deviated from the right way in that case it was permissible and if there was no imam and no jama'ah and the people had fallen into all types of corruption. Uh, In that case, he said that you may separate yourself from all of those astray or lost groups even if the person in separating from the rest of the society uh, had to eat from the root of trees until they died. The meaning of this is that uh, we should follow the imam and stick to the jama'ah, except in the case where there is no imam and there is no jama'ah of the muslims and the people the groups have all deviated and, and, and fallen into corruption then we may separate from the people in that case only uh, Point number 74, Imam Tahawi says وَنُحِبُّ أَهْلَ الْعَدْلِ وَالْأَمَانَةِ that we love the people of adl, justice and amanah, trustworthiness وَنَبْغَضُ أهل الْجَوْرِ وَالْخِيَانَةِ And we hate uh, the people of injustice and oppression and the people of treachery and betrayal. Uh, this, is based, this, is, this statement is based on the principle of loving for the sake of Allah and hating for the sake of Allah. And this is the foundation in Islam that Muslims should love for the sake of Allah. he yani love those whom Allah loves. And love the people who do that which Allah loves And hate those whom Allah hates And hate those people who do the things that Allah hates uh, And here we mention the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ That's reported by Imam Ahmed In his Musnad and at tabarani And that hadith is Sahih As classified by Sheikh Al-Albani In which it is reported that he Sallallahu alayhi has said That uh, the most strongest strength or foundation of Islam is love for the sake of Allah and hating for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from these questions from this, uh, these uh, principles or these points there were a number of questions uh, that we took or that we mentioned at the end of the lecture last week we should look at those questions and try to answer them because as we mentioned before these questions would be the basis of the uh examination. Well the examination will be based on this. Okay, uh tonight we will start with the next point, point number seventy five, uh in which Animam Tahawi says uh Allahu <laughs> a'lamu fi That we say, Allahu <laughs> a'lamu, we say that Allah knows best concerning any matter which is unclear or doubtful to, to us. And when any issue comes to us that is unclear or we are doubtful about it or we have no knowledge of it, then instead of trying to make up something from ourselves, instead of trying to uh, just offer some false opinion or baseless opinion we say Allah is the most knowledgeable, Allah is the best knower, Allahu A'lamu this is the position of Ahlus and this is the stand of the scholars of Islam when they don't know, they don't just offer opinions that are baseless but they refer those matters to the one who knows everything, the all knowing the best knower, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here the Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Abdul Rahman al-Khumis Hafidullah He says that the Ahlus Sunnah wal Jamaah always refer back uh, the knowledge of those things which are unclear to them. They always refer it back to uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and they say, Allahu a'lamu. Allah is the one who has the best knowledge, the perfect knowledge, and most complete knowledge. And this is the right and just thing to do. And the This is also, this statement is based on the fact that it is prohibited, it is haram. It is forbidden for us to speak about Allah or about the the way, the deen of Allah without knowledge. And to speak about Allah without knowledge, to say something about Allah, about the deen of Allah and we have no knowledge of it. This is a haram. It is one of the greatest sins and most evil of sins. And so whenever a person is asked about something that they don't know, then it is obligatory on them to say, Allah is the best knower, or Allah is the most knowledgeable, Allah knows best. The evidence is concerning this particular principle, that we should refer things back to Allah that we have no knowledge of. Uh, Al-Imam Ibn Abi mentions a number of ayahs of Quran and also some hadith and sayings of Sahaba. We'll just mention a few of them. The first of them is in Surah Al-Qasas. Chapter, I don't know the number, chapter, I not Qasas, verse 50. In that ayat, he mentions the saying of Allah, وَمَنْ أَضَلُّ مِنْ مَنْ إِتَّبَعَ هَوَاهُ بِغَيْرِ مِنَ اللَّهِ Who is more stray than the one who follows his desires without any guidance from Allah. Yani the one who follows a way, uh, says something or does something without any guidance from Allah, without knowledge. This is the intended meaning. And also the saying of Allah. In Surah Al-Hajj, uh, verse 3, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ فِي اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ And from, from the people, there are those who argue concerning Allah without knowledge. Yeah, and they speak without knowledge. And also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah ghafir Ghafir chapter, I mean I don't know the numbers of the chapters now, today I am lost for these numbers. Uh, Surah Al-Ghafir, Verse 35, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, أَلَّذِينَ yujadiluna fi آيَاتِ اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ سُلْطَانَ أَتَاهُمْ يعني yani those who argue and dispute and debate concerning the signs of Allah, the ayats of Allah, the verses of Allah, without any authority that has been given to them. يعني yani they have no proof, no delil, no evidence. Yani without any uh, sultan, no authority or no evidence. Uh, and also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah al araf uh, verse 33 إِنَّمَا حَرَّمَ ربي ما ظهر منها وما that Allah the verily my Lord has prohibited has made haram all kinds of evil and indecency open, apparent or unseen وَالْإِثْمَ وَالْبَغِي بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ and also sin and transgression uh, without any truth without any proof and finally and he close the ayah by saying also the things that Allah has prohibited وَأَنْ تُشْرِكُوا بِاللَّهِ مَا لَمْ يُنَزِّلْ بِهِ سُلْطَانِ And to associate uh, with Allah that for which there is no sultan, there is no authority, there is no proof for doing so. وَأَنْ عَلَى اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ And to say about Allah that of which you have no knowledge. And also he mentions that Allah has ordered the Prophet وسلم to refer that which he has no knowledge of back to Allah. in the saying of Allah in Surah Al-Kahf verse 26, just chapter 18 I think, verse 26 قُلْ Allahu Alamu Bima labithu. that Allah is the one who knows how long they stayed in the cave yeah, And the Prophet didn't have any knowledge of so so Allah ordered him to say Allah is the one who knows so whenever we don't know something uh, we should do as Allah ordered the Prophet wasallam. refer back to Allah that which we have no knowledge of um, that's in Surah Al-Kahf verse 26 and also in the same chapter Kahf verse 22 Kullu rabbi a'lamu bi'iddatihim. That Allah is the one who knows about their period, yani the period of time that they spent there. And there are a number of other hadith that he mentions or other ayahs from the Qur'an and, and also hadith, one of the hadith is when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi asked about the children of the Mushrikeen, the pagan children, what would be their condition in the next life if they died in childhood? They didn't reach a, a puberty or maturity and he said Allahu Allah is the one who knows what they would have been doing yani Allah is the things we have no knowledge of we say Allah knows we refer back to Allah uh, point number 76 Imam Al-Tahawi Allah says that we hold the position or the opinion of the permissibility of Al-Maf' ya'ani wiping over khufs or socks and whatever we may wear on our feet we hold that it is permissible to wipe over them in the case of the person who's making ablution or making wudu it's permissible to wipe over your socks khufs, leather socks or other kinds of socks even if they're not leather it's permissible to wipe over them and this is actually a fiqh matter it's a matter of fiqh Islamic jurisprudence uh, and perhaps there's some comment here concerning why it's mentioned in the book of Aqeedah. In any case, Imam Tahawi says that we hold the position or the opinion of the permissibility of al-Mashu, or wiping over kufs for ablution while traveling for Safr while Hadr, or while resident as it came or as it has been transmitted to us in the traditions, fil Afr, and the traditions, the reports from the Prophet صلى الله عليه Sahaba, and the early generations of Muslims. Here, the Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Abd Rahman Al Khumais, hadithullah, says that the Ahlus Sunnah consider that wiping over the kuffs for the person who has to make wudu is permissible, with the conditions that have been narrated in the books of fiqh. Yani the conditions for wiping over the socks is that there is a certain time period, a day and a night for the resident, three days and three nights for the traveller. That the person should have perform the ablution and wash their feet befo- before they put their socks on and so on. Yani this is permissible according to Ahl Sunnah along with or in, in light of the conditions that are known in the books of fiqh. Uh, and also it is permissible to make al-mashu or wiping over the jawrabain and na'alain, wiping over ordinary socks, not leather socks, kufs, but even ordinary socks and even wiping over one's sandals. Uh, and then he says that the Raqibah or well known today as the Shia they oppose the ahl al-Sunnah wa-Jama'ah the Ijma'ah of the ahl al-Sunnah wa-Jama'ah the consensus and the clearly uh, authentic and innumerable narrations from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his companions in this matter they opposed it and they differed from it and uh, held that it's not permissible to do so al sheik al-Albani Hafidhullah says the reason why Al-Imam Ibn Abd al or not Ibn Abd al imam al-Tahawi rahimahullah the reason why he mentions uh, here in this book of aqidah uh, the mention of a, a matter of fiqh is that he has followed the example of the scholars of the Ahlul Sunnah Wal Jamaa before him in their books concerning Aqidah they also mention this issue ok you can take either one doesn't matter this one is stapled and that one is not yes it it's uh, they also mention this issue of wiping over the socks in their books of Aqidah and he says that the reason for this and not, 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 not only wiping over al-khufs al- or leather socks but also wiping over ordinary socks and sandals and the reason why this is mentioned here is for two reasons the first of them is that the wiping over khufs, yeah, and he mentions, but he didn't mention ordinary socks, but ordinary socks is also permissible. The reason why he mentioned khufs here, and he didn't mention ordinary socks and sandals, is because the wiping over the hoofs has been reported from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in mutawatir hadith. Mutawatir hadith. Yeah, and the large number of, of Asaneed, or isnad or chains of narrators, uh, after which there is no doubt about the authenticity of it and nobody can reject it because you know that mutawatir hadith uh, those hadith which are beyond question due to the fact that not only the Isnad for it is authentic but there are innumerable chains of narratives for that particular hadith and therefore they mention this the wiping over the khufz because khufz has been mentioned by mutawatir hadith whereas the wiping over ordinary socks and sandals have not been mentioned in mutawatir hadith But they have also been mentioned in authentic hadith. So the strength of the proof for wiping over khufs is stronger than wiping over regular sacks, although both of them are permissible. The second reason why he mentioned the khufs and not ordinary sacks is because the Rafida or the Shia they oppose this sunnah of wiping over the khufs. Even, and and the proofs against them, uh, the proofs against them are stronger concerning the wiping over of khufs than the wiping over ordinary socks because the wiping over of khufs has been narrated by a mutawatir hadith so there is no doubt about that and yet they still opposed it the Rasidah still opposed this Sunnah and they rejected it uh, then the Shaykh al-Albani says that the fact that Al-Imamah Tahawi mentions the khufs and he doesn't mention wiping over ordinary socks or sandals this doesn't negate the fact that it is also permissible to wipe over ordinary socks. Uh, and this, he says, has been proven. And the proofs of it have been mentioned in detail in a book entitled Al-Mas'h Ala Al-Jawra wiping over the socks. Wiping over one's socks, which was written or authored by a Shaykh Al-Qasimi. And the Shaykh says, Al-Albani says, and I have also added to his book uh, in, in his checking of that book he also added to it uh, an appendix in which he also mentioned so many of the rules related to wiping over socks any yani extra rules and regulations or ahkam that are related to wiping over socks the next point point number 77 Imam al-Tahawi says وَالْحَجُّ وَالْجِهَادُ مَاضِيَانِ مَعَ Amri Min مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ that al-hajj or pilgrimage to Mecca and al-jihad fighting in the way of Allah will remain as standing obligations they will remain as standing obligations until the hour of judgment under the Muslim authorities under the ul al-amr min al-muslimin under those who are in authority from amongst the Muslims not if there are people in authority over the Muslims who are not Muslims but this has to be under the authority of the Muslims themselves who are in authority over the affairs of the Muslims he says, Al-Hajj wa jihad ma'adiyani الأمر al-Amra min al-Muslimin. Yeah, these are standing obligations uh, along with those who are in charge of affairs from amongst the Muslims. Whether they are righteous or unrighteous, whether the Muslim ruler is righteous or unrighteous, it is obligatory to uh, follow his authority in the Hajj and in the jihad ila yawm, ila qiyam until the hour of judgment, yeah, and until the last day this is a standing obligation the Hajj and Jihad under the authority of the Muslim rulers لَا يُبطِلُهُمَا شَيْءٌ وَلَا, ينقذه ولا and he says that these two things the Hajj and the Jihad under the Muslim rulers will never be nothing can abolish it nor nullify it or negate it or suspend it these will be obligations upon the Muslims, the performance of pilgrimage and the performance of Jihad and the authority of the Muslim rulers until Yawmul Qiyamah, it will never be suspended, it will never be abolished, it will never be nullified. Here the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Khumiyat, says, that the Ahaz al wal-Jama'ah hold the opinion that Hajj and umrah Hajj uh, and jihad will remain, uh, will continue as standing obligations under the authority of the Muslim rulers whether they are righteous or unrighteous and they will not be abolished or nullified or suspended yani the obligation for performing them will never be lifted and that is until the hour of judgment Yawm al and this is a ruling whether the imams the leaders or the rulers are of the just or unjust yani whether they are righteous or unrighteous for the unrighteous or the unjust or oppressive ruler his strength will be for the Muslims it will be in their favor if he has any power or strength it will be for the Muslims and his oppression or wrongdoing will be against his own self only and whatever he does of wrong it's against him uh, it's not against the Muslims they are not responsible for his action but whatever he does of good and the power and strength that he has or the authority that he has inshallah will be in the benefit of the Muslims and this and he is as long as they remain in Islam if they go out of Islam that's another matter and as long as they remain in Islam even if they are oppressive or wrongdoing then they still have authority and they should be followed in the Hajj and in Al-Jihad Al-Imam Ibn Abil al in his comprehensive explanation of Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyah he says that the saying of Al-Imam al Tahawi, that this Hajj and Jihad should be along with those who have authority from amongst the Muslims whether they are righteous or unrighteous he said this is because the Hajj and the Jihad are two obligatory actions that are connected to traveling and both of them require traveling, Al Jihad and Al Hajj so it is a necessity that when, a, when the people, when the Muslims travel to perform the Jihad or to perform the Hajj that they should have someone to look over their affairs to direct them and to supervise their affairs, there has to be someone in charge and to, and to and he consider the the strength of the enemy and to prepare them to deal with the enemy so this uh, supervision uh, that's in the hand of the ruler it takes place and is effective and is beneficial for the group of Muslims who are traveling for Hajj or Jihad having somebody in charge of them and being under the authority of one leader it is effective whether that leader is righteous or unrighteous still it, it brings about order and it eliminates chaos and confusion and this is the intended purpose of having a ruler or someone in authority over the Muslims even if that ruler is not the best of us. Sheikh al-Albani he says we should also know and this is a side point but it's related to the issue, he said we should know that Al Jihad is divided into two divisions the first of them is Fard Ayn that which is obligatory on every Muslim Fard Ayn. And, and this Jihad is the Jihad against an enemy, who has attacked one of the Muslim lands, who transgressed against the Muslims, went into a Muslim land and attacked the Muslims. Like the Jews today who have taken over Palestine. So that the Muslims in this case, in this case of the first type of Jihad, Fard Ayn, uh, the Muslims, all of them are sinful all of them are held responsible until that enemy is removed from the Muslim land, wherever that land may be wherever it may be. This is the first type of Jihad, the Jihad Fard Ayn, when the enemy of Islam enters a Muslim land uh, and attacks the Muslims. The second type of Jihad is Fard Kifaya as long as some of the Muslims uh, perform this Jihad then the others are relieved of responsibility and this type of Jihad is the jihad for carrying the Islamic da'wah to the rest of the land and yani carrying the Islamic da'wah throughout the earth until Islam rules on the earth until the law of Allah is supreme in the earth this is also uh, uh, the purpose of jihad to establish the rule of Allah and the law of Allah on the earth and this jihad is fard kifaya as long as some of the Muslims do it the others are free of blame if the Muslims go to any land with this jihad, if the people of that land submit, then this is then they are then they then they would not be fought against. But if they stop or stand in the way of Islam and the law of Allah being spread in the earth, then those people should be fought until the word of Allah is superior until the law of Allah is established, and Allah has more right that his law should be established in the earth than the man made laws of uh, the disbelievers. This jihad, the second one, fard kifaya, is also a standing jihad. It is standing until yom khiamah. Not to mention the first type of jihad, the fard ain jihad. Yaani the fard ain jihad. There is no doubt about it that when any disbelievers attack the land of the Muslims, went into any Muslim country, then that jihad is standing until yom khiamah without any doubt about it. Yeah, I know mean that the Muslims are obligated to fight. Unfortunately, the Sheikh says that there are some writers today I'm amongst the Muslims who deny this jihad, who deny jihad. Uh, not only that, but they went so far as to say that one of the virtues of Islam is that uh, Islam um, doesn't allow making jihad. Yeah, I mean some of them try to deny that jihad is a part of Islam, and they use that. To show how great Islam is yani They try to show Or try to say That this is one of the Virtues Or the beauties of Islam That there is no jihad in Islam And this is no more The shaykh says No more than The effect of their weakness And their inability To perform the jihad And then he quotes In closing The saying of the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa An authentic hadith That he mentions in his book Sulfula al-haditha sahihah in the first volume, Hadith number eleven, the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam: "If you start doing transactions of aina, and aina is a type of transaction which requires some explanation, I'll try to explain it very, very briefly. Whoever understands it, alhamdulillah. Whoever didn't, don't worry about it. It is when a people or when someone sells an item to another person." and they give the item to that person on the condition that the person pays them their money later on at a future time. They sell something to you, they give it to you but they say you give me the money later at a later date. Then after, after they have given you that item and before they have taken the money that you owe them they come back to you and say I want to buy it back. I want to buy what I have sold you, I want to buy it back. And I will pay for it in cash. I will give you cash money for it now, if you give it back to me. Okay? They sold it to you on credit, and you didn't pay them yet. So you owe them money. Then they came back to you later and said, I want to buy it back. And they pay you for it to give it back to them. But they pay you less than what they sold it to you for. Is it clear? they sold it to you for, for example a hundred dollars, you owe them a hundred dollars, but before you pay them they buy it back from you for fifty dollars, they give you fifty, you have fifty in your hand, but you owe them a hundred, that means they still have their property that they started with, and you owe them a hundred dollars, which means they made fifty extra dollars, they gave you fifty for it, and you owe them a hundred, I hope it's somewhat clear, if not you can review the tape insha'Allah. In any case this type of transaction is a, is a sort of riba or interest where a person gives you a certain value of something and takes back more than it. That's what it actually ends up being. And it's a type of transaction that is not apparent to be riba but actually if you look at it carefully you will see that it is nothing more than riba. The Prophet sallallahu said, إِذَا if you do this type of transaction and you hold on to the tails of cows and you become involved in raising uh, animals and you became pleased with farming and you left off making jihad in the way of Allah if this happened that people engaged in these transactions and they became occupied with uh, raising their animals and uh, farming their lands, and as a result of that, they left off making jihad in the way of Allah. zillan la ankum hatta tarji'u In that case, Allah would bring upon you or put an authority over you those who would humiliate you who would bring you into a low position and it would not be removed from you until you turn back to your religion this hadith is related to the people who became occupied with worldly things and for that reason they left jihad and this is what we see in the Muslim world today the Muslims are occupied with worldly things and they have abandoned the jihad and for that reason Allah allowed the Muslims to be humiliated as we see in the world today from these points there are a number of questions as you can see on the handout sheet if we were asked about something uh, that we do not know what should we say yani, what, how, how, what should we do when we ask about something we don't know the second question what is the ruling concerning al-nafh al-khafain yani wiping over socks and what is its period of time during which it is allowed for a traveler or a resident and the third question why is the issue of wiping over socks mentioned in the book of Islamic aqeedah the reason why it's mentioned in the book of Aqidah, because it is related to the aqeedah of the Raqidah, the people who rejected the Sunnah. So it is mentioned by many of the scholars of Sunnah to show that those people, it is almost as though it's a matter of aqeedah that those who abandoned the Sunnah deviated from Islam. That's why it's mentioned in the book of Aqidah. Because they abandoned a Sunnah that's a matter related to Fiqh. But in fact by abandoning the Sunnah it means they are abandoning Islam. For this reason it's related to, it's mentioned in the books of Aqidah. Number four, what is the ruling for al-jihad fighting in the way of Allah and Hajj to Mecca with or under the authority of the unjust imam yani whatever the imam, whether he's is just or unjust it's still obligatory for us to go for Hajj and Jihad under the authority of a ruler, of, a, of an imam, of a leader and what are the two types of Jihad and explain, we said that the two types of Jihad is Fard Ayn and Fard Kifaya Fard Ayn is when the disbelievers attack the Muslim land and Fard Kifaya is to establish uh, Islam in the earth, to carry the da'wah of Islam to the other lands. Uh, the next point, imam Al-Tahawi on the second handout, imam tahawi says in point number 78, al الْكَاتِبِينَ And we believe in the noble recording angels, Al-Qiram Al-Katibin. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ, جعلكم قد جَعَلَهُمْ علينا حافظين Or اللَّهَ قَدْ جعلهم علينا حافظين According to the way it was written in some of the different manuscripts. The meaning here is that we believe in the Kiram al-Katibin, uh, the noble recording angels. Verily Allah has assigned them as al-Hafidun, guardians over us, preserving our every action and speech. Yani, kiram and being they are the angels who uh, Allah has placed over us to record and to preserve our deeds. Whether speech or actions, whatever we may do and even some scholars said our intentions. But of course intentions, according to the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi somebody intends to do something evil and they don't do it, then no sin is written against them for their intention but in fact if they abandon from doing they get a good they get one good deed written for them and if they did it there's only one uh, sin written against them and if anyone intends to do a good deed and they didn't do it then they get uh, a credit for one good deed even though they didn't do it for their intention and if they did it then they get the reward of ten times over or seven hundred times or many multiples of that so we see that even the intentions even the intentions are recorded by the angels whether good or bad insha'Allah if they are good even if we didn't do it we get credit for a good deed for having a good intention I And mean, that's as long as the, the, the reason why the person didn't do it is, is because they were prevented by the police watching or something <laughs> but if they didn't do it because they thought about it and they feared Allah and they left it off willingly The Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Khumais says here that the Ahl sunnah wal-Jama'ah believe that the noble recording angels uh, they, are, they have been placed by Allah as guardians over us to uh, write down and record our sayings and our actions and he says here uh, and they do not separate from us except if we go to the place of relieving oneself the bathroom or the toilet or when uh, one has intimate marital relations with one's spouse and this statement uh, is mentioned in a hadith that is not authentic it is reported in an unauthentic hadith that uh, that they are with you those who never separate from you except at the time you go to the bathroom or at the time when you're having sexual relations so be shy of them and honor them This hadith is not authentic. It is not authentic. But in any case, we do know that the angels are with us and we should uh, be shy of them and we should honor them. We should be careful what we say and what we do when we know that we are accompanied by the angels. Two angels, one on our right and one on our left. Uh, These are the angels that are mentioned in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Infitar, chapter 82, verse 10 and 11. وَإِنَّ عَلَيْكُمْ لَحَافِذِينَ Kiraman katibeen, yalamuna ma taf'alun. That verily over you are preservers, hafirin, and noble recording angels, they know whatever you do. They have knowledge of whatever you do. They are watching and recording everything that we say or what we do. And it, they also mention, uh, and from amongst them, uh, are Raqib and Ateed, mentioned in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah al qaf Chapter 50 verse 18 مَا يلفظ مِنْ قَوْلٍ إِلَّا لَدَيْهِ رَقِيبٌ عطيد. That no one uh, would say a word Except that with him is رَقِيبٌ عَتِيدٌ A watcher by him ready to record it Some of the scholars said that رَقِيب means is A preserver And some of them said That it means uh, The one who overlooks raqib, yani your raqib watches over something or watches over uh, our deeds and our actions and aqid means haadir, or, yani means the one who is ready, yani present and ready to record so that these two words raqibun, aqid, it means the angels who are present, ready to record and to preserve our deeds, our actions and our speech Um, The shaykh says that amongst those angels are Raqib and Atid Uh, but in fact most of the scholars of Tafsir did not mention these two expressions or these two words Raqib and Atid as the names of angels and perhaps the most correct opinion is that these are not the names of angels but they are two descriptions, descriptions for angels the two angels that are with every human being day and night taking turns alternating those who come in the morning at Fajr time uh, to replace those who came at Asr time and then at Asr time they alternate new angels come uh, and take the place of those who came at Fajr time but these angels who are alternating uh, when they, those, the two that are with any human being that they are described by these two words they are, these two angels are described by these two words that they are ready. Uh, waiting, observant, looking over and ready to record the actions of the human being. and this is mentioned uh, by uh, Dr. Umar Suleiman Al-Ashkar in his book Alam Al-Malaika al Abrah, the world of the pure angels he said, mentioning the names of angels, he says Raqibun Atid that some of the scholars mention that these uh, are from amongst the angels and that it is the name Raqib and Atid, are names of angels. And they used as evidence the ayat that we mentioned in Surah Al-Qaq, chapter 50, verse 17 and 18. Uh, which mention uh, that no one will say anything except that with him is Raqib and Aqid. Therefore they said that these are the names of two angels. Uh, he says that this opinion is not correct. That in fact a Raqib and Atid these are two descriptions of the angels which record the actions of the human being and the meaning of Raqib and Atid it means two angels who are present who are witnessing uh, the actions of the human being and they are never absent from that human being and it doesn't mean that these are the names of two particular angels Uh, also just quickly there are a number of hadith related to this that perhaps we can mention some of them and among them is the hadith that Ibn Al-Kathir, Al-Hafid Ibn kathir rahimahullah mentions in his Tafsir. Uh, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and it is authentic He said إِنَّ الرَّجُلَ bil بِالْكَلِمَةِ مِنْ Ridwan اللَّهِ Taala, مَا يَظُنُّ أَنْ يَبْلُغَ أَوْ تَبْلُغَ مَا بَلَغَتْ يعني that there would be a man who would say a word that would be pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he wouldn't think that that word would reach what it reached and he wouldn't think that it was of the magnitude that it was but it was a word that was pleasing to Allah يكتبو أو يكتبو اللَّهَ biha بِهَا رِدْوَانَهُ إلى, إِلَىٰ يَوْمِ يَلْقَاهُ then as a result of that word Allah would write for him his pleasure, Allah would be pleased with him and Allah would write for him that he is pleased with him until the day that Allah meets him, until the day of resurrection or the day of judgment. Just from a word that a person said that he didn't think much of, but it was a word that was pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is a proof of the importance of being careful of everything that we say or do, because the angels are recording them and if it's a word that's pleasing to Allah, it will be greatly rewarded and if it's a word that's displeasing to Allah, it will be as the Prophet ﷺ said in the second part of this hadith: "وَإِنَّ الرَّجُلَ لَيَتَكَلَّمُ بِالْكَلِمَةِ مِنْ سَخْطِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى مَا يَذْنُو أَوْ مَا يَذْنُو أَن تَبْلُغَ مَا بَلَغَتْ That a person would say a word that would be of, would be displeasing to Allah, and He wouldn't think that it was of that much significance. Yet, to Taala, عليه بِهَا سَخْطُهُ إلى يوم يلقاه. Then, as a result of that, Allah would write against him. Due to that word, Allah will write against him His displeasure and His anger until the day that He meets him. And also, uh, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that is reported by Imam Muslim and Imam Ahmad on the authority of Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud. "Ma min من min إلا illa waqad به bihi uh, من min al من wa yani malaika that there is no one of you except that there has been assigned to him a karina from amongst the jinn or a companion from amongst the jinn and a companion from amongst the angels every person has these two assigned to him a companion from amongst the jinn and a companion from amongst the angels قَالُوا they said even you O Messenger of Allah and he said وَإِيَّايَ even me وَلَكِنَّ لكن اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ فَأَسْلَمَ but Allah has assisted me against my uh, the jinn that has been assigned to me فَأَسْلَمَ and he has submitted the jinn that was assigned to the Prophet ﷺ, Allah assisted him against him and he submitted فَلَا يَأْمُرُنِي إِلَّا بِخَيْرٍ and he doesn't order me to do anything except the good but the jinn that's assigned to us he will try to get us to do evil and he is always whispering to us and commanding us with evil and we should be aware of this that we are accompanied uh, not only by the angels but also by the jinn and they try to get us to do that which is evil and displeasing to Allah ta'ala. The next point, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi mentions point number 79 also related to the angels وَنُؤْمِنُوا Al الْمَوْتِ arwah al-'alamin. And we believe in Malak al maut the angel of death who is commissioned or assigned with the task of taking the souls the arwah, the ruh taking the souls of every human being and jinn Malak al maut the one who is assigned to take the souls of human beings at the time of their death the Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Abd Rahman al Khumais, Happy says that we believe that the, that the angel of death has been assigned by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to take the souls of all creatures, of min al sakalain Yani from the angels, I mean from the humans and from the jinn, as mentioned in the saying of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in Surah Sajda, chapter 32, verse 11: قُلْ يَتَوَفَّىٰكُمْ مَلِكُ الْمَوْتِ الَّذِي وَقِلَ بِكُمْ ثَمَّ إِلَى رَبِّكُمْ تُرْجَعُونَ Allah says, say, and the angel of death uh, is the one who takes your life. Yani, ملك الموت. The one who takes your soul is ملك الموت. The angel of death, the one who has been assigned to you. He will take your life or take your soul. ثم ila ربكم ترجعون. Then after that, you will return to your Lord, Allah wa ta'ala. So the taking of the soul has been attributed to the angel of death. In consideration of the fact that he is the one who directly actually performs the action of, ta- of that due to the fact that it is done by the permission of Allah and by the will of Allah then the taking of the soul of the human being at the time of death has also been attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is in fact the one who in reality is the one who takes the soul. Yani Allah is the only one who gives life and causes death but the one who he sent to perform the action is the angel, Manakul Mawt. But in fact, Allah, it is also attributed to him that he is the one who takes the soul. And that's mentioned in Surah Al-Zumr, chapter 39, verse 42, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahu that Allah is the one who takes the souls, all of the souls of his creatures at the time of their death, at the time when death comes to them that Allah is the one who takes the soul so there is no contradiction between these two statements because the angel of death is the one who takes the souls of human beings by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the command of Allah not by his own any doing but by Allah's permission and Allah's order and by permission and by authority and power from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to Allah's will and only if Allah wills it and he is one of the greatest angels but there has not been mentioned or there is no narration of a particular name for him either in the Quran or in the Sunnah. The angel of death is known as al-Maut in the Quran and in the Sunnah and those reports which have been attributed to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that the name of the angel of death, death is Israel this is no more than reports from the Ahl Kitab the people of the book, the Christians and Jews this is not an authentic there is no authentic report from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam even though it is widely mentioned and widespread amongst the Muslims and it is written in books even by some of the scholars that the name of Malak Al is Israel but in fact it has not been authentically reported in the Sunnah and it is not mentioned in the Quran uh, also after the Al Mawt the Imam At-Tahawi rahimahullah, goes to the subject of the grave, and the punishment in the grave, and point number 80, he says, وَبِعَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ And we also believe in the punishment in the grave. لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ ahlan For that one who deserves it. And yani we believe that there is punishment in the grave for the people who deserve it. وَسُؤَالِ مُنْكَرٍ وَنَكِيرٍ fi قَبْرِهِ And also that there is questioning. By the two angels Munkar and Nakir, in the grave, we also believe that there is questioning in the grave عَنْ Rabbihi, Wadinihi, وَنَبِيِّهِ That the people, every person, will be questioned by Munkar and Nakir about his Lord, about his Deen, and about his Prophet. And this is based on, as Imam al-Tha'wi says, bihi al-akhbar an sallallahu alaihi wa wasallam.' وَعَنْ الصَّحَابَةِ sahabati Ridwanullah عَلَيْهِمْ This is based on the reports or the narrations uh, that have been uh, mentioned in the hadith of the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, and also that which has been transmitted uh, as sayings of the companions, the sahaba, the companions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. May Allah's pleasure be upon them all. Here the Shaykh Al-Khumis, Allah, says that we believe that there is real punishment in the grave and that punishment will happen, people will be punished from amongst the disbelievers as well as the munafiqeen the hypocrites and even on the wicked or corrupt from amongst the Muslims whom Allah wills that they be punished in the grave even the Muslims, some of the Muslims may be punished in the grave Uh, and this the intended meaning of al-qabr or grave here, it doesn't just mean a ditch or a hole in the earth, but the intended meaning here is alam al-barzakh. Al-barzakh is what is mentioned here. The punishment will take place in the world called al-barzakh. That world which is in between the world that we are living in now and before the akhirah, the next life. In between there is another stage, it's a real world. The human beings will go into that world when they leave this world before they go into the next life, before Yom Qiyamah and in that world there is punishment and there is also pleasure of the people who are in that condition in the grave um, those who have done evil they will be punished in Barzakh uh, whether they are buried in the earth or whether they are drowned in the sea, in the belly of a fish or in the, in the stomach of a, of a bird or in any wild animal that has eaten them up. In any case, when a person dies, they may be punished uh, in that life that they will be living in after this world and before they go on to the next life. There may be punishment for the Catholics, for sure, for the Munafikin, the hypocrites, for sure, and even some of the Muslims, whomever Allah wills. And we believe that this punishment is just. It is according to what they deserve. And we also believe that Munkar and Nakir. That these are two very, very great angels who will ask every human being in the grave, they will ask them about their Lord and about their religion and about their Prophet. And every one of these and all of these things that we mentioned here, the punishment in the grave as well as the questioning by Munkar and Nakir, uh, all of this is established in authentic reports from the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, by hadith which are mutawatir mutawatir, by innumerable chains of narrators and therefore it is obligatory on us to believe in what those hadith have indicated and the punishment in the grave the questioning in the grave all of this has been reported to us in mutawatir hadith and therefore it is obligatory on a Muslim to accept it and not to deny such one of the proofs of the punishment in the grave the hadith that's reported by al Bukhari and Muslim The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam The most truthful as Fadiq Al-Masduq The most truthful in the one who believes He used to say Allahumma oh inni bika min adhab al-qabr O Allah I seek refuge in you from the punishment in the grave Would the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Pray to Allah seeking refuge from something that doesn't exist That's not a reality And another hadith In the Adhkar of Sabah and masah it is also reported authentically in the Sahih of Muslim that in one of the adkar, the Prophet ﷺ used to say, Rabbi bika min al wa al al-kibr, Rabbi bika min wa He used to say, "Oh my Lord, I seek refuge in You from laziness and from senility, yani old age, and I seek refuge in You, Oh my Lord, from azab fil-nār." From a punishment in the fire, wa azabin fil qabr, and a punishment in the grave. And it also been reported in other hadith that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi and it is authentic, he said, allahumma ma'afani fi bedani, Allahumma ma'afani fi sami, allahumma ma'afani fi Bafari, la ilaha illa anta, O Allah, grant me any well-being in my body, in my hearing, and in my sight. And there is no, nothing that deserves to be worshipped except you. He said that three times. And he said, Allahumma inni a'udhubika min al-kufri wal-faqri. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from disbelief and from poverty. Wa bika min al-qabri. And I seek refuge in you from the punishment and the grave. La ilaha illa anta. There is nothing that deserves to be worshipped except you. That's reported in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood and the Musnah of Imam Ahmed. And reported by Imam Al-Bukhari. Rahimahum Allah in Al-Adab Al-Mufrad. Uh, sheik al-Albani Hafidhullah mentions concerning this point that uh, the punishment in the grave that imam al-Tahawi when he says that people will be punished in the grave for those who deserve to be punished in the grave he means by that the kuffar the disbelievers as well as the corrupt and sinful people from amongst the Muslims as for the first group, the disbelievers, there's no doubt about it. This is based on clear text from the Qur'an. And as for the second group, yani the, the unrighteous or the disobedient people from amongst the Muslims, there's no doubt about their punishment also as it, as it has been established in many, many authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which are mutawatir also coming with innumerable chains, of narrators. And some of these hadiths has been reported by Ibn Abd al in his comprehensive explanation of Al-Aqidah al-Tahawiyyah. Therefore, based on this, these undisputable proofs, it is obligatory on us to believe in such, to believe that there is really punishment in the grave. Uh, but we should not delve deeply into this subject trying to figure out how will be the punishment in the grave. Then if a person is dead, if their body is eaten up by an animal, if they drowned in the sea, if they burned up into ashes, how are they going to be punished in the grave? How does it take place? It's not for us to delve into such things because Allah doesn't require of us to believe in something that's impossible but He might require of us to believe something that might be difficult to understand. We cannot understand everything, our minds are limited, we are only human beings but if it has been authentically reported to us in the uh, revelation that is the Quran or the authentic Sunnah then we are required to believe in it and to accept it uh, and then he says we may find some of the hadith concerning this matter in the Sharh the Sharh of al al-Tahawiyyah by Ibn abd al and also in the book as sunnah by Ibn Abil Al-Asim and he mentions the, number of the, the numbers of the hadith where we may find it and finally he says that these matters the punishment and the grave and the questioning by Munkar Al-Nakir that these things have been reported by Mutawatir Hadith, except the mentioning of these two angels, Munkar and Nakir, they are not mentioned or they are not reported in Mutawatir Hadith, but they are reported in some authentic Hadith and one of them is a Hadith that's reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi and the Sunnah of Ibn Abi Asim and it has been uh, declared to, uh, to have a Isnad that is Hasan or a good, acceptable uh, chain of narrators and al-Shaykh al-Albani mentions it in his book al-Ahadith al-Sahiha, Hadith number 1391 In that place he mentioned a long hadith In the beginning of the hadith The Prophet ﷺ says إِذَا قُبِرَ الْمَيِّتِ أَوْ قَالَ أَحَدُكُمْ يعني If a dead person is put into the grave Or if any one of you is buried أَتَاهُ أَسْوَدَانَ أزرقان Youukalu the Ahadihima, al-Munkar, wal And if any one of you is placed in the earth, or if any one of you is buried, then two blue and black angels will come to him. One of them is called Al-Munkar, and the other one is called An Nakir. And this is authentically reported from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم The last point that we want to cover tonight, I remember Tahawi says, in point number 81 81,WKabau. Rawdatun min Riyad al-Jannah. Aw مِنْ min hufari niran And we also believe, that is Ahl Sunnah al-Jama'ah, also believe that the qabr, the grave, is either a rawdha, a garden from the gardens of paradise, or a hufra, a ditch or a pit from the pits of the hellfire. Yani the person when they die and they are buried and they are placed in the grave, and as we said, it doesn't matter if they are buried in the earth or buried in the sea or in the belly of an animal or whatever, when a person dies and they enter al-barzakh, the world that is between this world and the next life, then that person uh, in that state, they will either be in a rawdha, a garden from the gardens of paradise, the state that they will be in, or they will be in a pit or a ditch from the uh, pits of hellfire. That will be the condition, they will be in either in pleasure or in punishment. Here the shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Rahman al-Khumis, Hafizullah says, that the grave will either be a garden from the garden of paradise uh, and this will be for the righteous believer that Allah has made firm and Allah has enabled them to answer the questions of the angels the questions, the three questions that they will be answered in the grave if Allah made them firm and Allah says in the Quran يثبت الله الذين آمنوا بالقول الثابت, that that Allah will make firm uh, those who believe with a firm word I and mean, they will be able to respond at that time when they are tested when they have the angels come to them and question them with the question that they will be asked who is your lord, what is your religion, who is your prophet? they will either be in a garden of the garden of paradise or they will be in a ditch in the ditches of the fire and this will be for the kuffar and the munafiqeen, the disbelievers and the hypocrites and also whoever Allah willed from the unjust, the oppressive, the sinful or corrupt Muslims, they may also be punished uh, while they are in the grave. Then the Sheikh mentions here that the Hadith concerning this matter Al-Qabr imma Rawdatun, min jannah wa imma hafratun min hafratun al-niran that the grave is either a garden from the gardens of paradise or a ditch from the ditches of hellfire. that the Hadith which mentions this expression is not authentically reported from the Prophet ﷺ. and if the hadith with that expression is not an authentic hadith but the meaning contained in it is firmly established in many mutawatir hadith from the Prophet ﷺ, which deal with the subject of the grave and the punishment in the grave. There are many of the hadith but not by this expression. Shaykh Al-Bani mentions that uh, that this expression is contained in a hadith that's reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi on the authority of Abi Sa'id attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu but the Isnad or chain of narratives is Da'if uh, It is not authentic and you may find it in the Da'if of Sunan At-Tirmidhi and he mentions the number of the hadith Hadith number 437 uh, The questions that are related to the points which we covered in the second part of this lecture, points number 78 to 81 number one, who are the al-hafidhoun who are the hafidun? and what are they assigned to do we should be able to answer these questions very easily since we just talked about them only a few moments ago what are they assigned to do, what is their job their job is to uh, to observe and to look over and to stay near and ready to write the actions and the deeds of the human beings do they stay with the human beings at all times According to many of the scholars, they stay with the human all the time, except at the time when uh, the person goes to the bathroom or when they have uh, intimate marital relations. Is it correct to say Ratib and Atid are the names of the two recording angels? Is it correct to say so? It is not correct to say so, even though that's the opinion of some of the scholars. But actually, the most correct opinion is that these are descriptions they are descriptions of the two angels, the pairs of angels that are with every human being. Yani there are un- innumerable angels, every human being has two angels, every human being has two angels and they alternate by day and by night, alternating at the time of Fajr and at the time of Asr as we mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. that means that at least in the course of one day every human being has four angels, two for the day and two for the night and those angels are called by these descriptions they are described by these descriptions which mean that they are uh, uh, hadir, hafiz, yani shahid that they are present uh, witnessing and ready to record the actions of the human being. This is the most correct opinion as it was uh, mentioned by Dr. Suleiman al ashkar in his book Al-Alam al-Malaika al-Abrah that we mentioned already. Um, Also concerning the next point, what do we know about Malik al-Mawt, the angel of death. What do we know about this angel of death? Uh, what is the responsibility of the angel of death? Is it true that Allah is the one who takes one soul at the time of death? Explain. And these two questions are related because we said that the responsibility of Malik al-Mawt is to take the soul of the person at the time of their death. Uh, the angel of death al-Maut, actually is the one who Allah assigned and ordered and willed that they actually take the soul of the human being out of their body at the time of their death. But Allah is the one who gave the angel the command, who gave him the ability and it is by Allah's will and only when Allah commands him to do so can he do so. And for this reason the taking of the soul of the human being as mentioned in the Quran is also attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. So we say, the question, is it true that Allah is the one who takes the soul at the time of death? Yes, it is true that Allah is the one who takes the soul. But the explanation of it is that, in that Allah is the actual one who does it, because Allah is the one who sent the angel. Allah is the one who willed for the angel to do it. Allah is the one who empowered the angel to do so. In that sense, we say, yes, Allah is the one who really takes the soul. Although the angel has been assigned with this task. And the ayat in the Quran mention both. That Malat al maut is the one who takes the soul, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself also takes the soul of the human beings. Question number six, what is the name of the angel of death? Uh, And we said as it has been mentioned by many of the scholars that it has been falsely reported in the Israeli, Israeli act in the sayings of the Ahl Kitab, the people of the book that the name of the angel of death is Israel but there is no mention of it in the Quran nor is there any mention of this name. Uh, being attributed to the malakal Maut in the authentic Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, it is not authentic. Number seven: Is it true that there is punishment, azab, and/or pleasure, naim, in the grave? Indeed, it is true. It has been reported in numeral, numeral hadith. Is, is this punishment or pleasure also applicable to those whose bodies are cremated, burned to ashes, lost at sea, or eaten up by a wild animal? For example, no. This punishment or this uh, pleasure or um, a blessing, it is applicable no matter what uh, may be the physical condition that the person died in because what we mean by the punishment in the grave we mean the person who is in Barzakh, they in the world between this world and the next life Who is Munkar and Nakir? And we said that these are the names as mentioned in the authentic hadith of the Prophet two angels who will come to the people and question them at the time of their death and finally, the last question, what are the three questions which every person will be asked in the grave? And these questions are the basis of a very famous and important book by Imam Muhammad ibn Abd wahhab Rahimahullah, the book uh, Al-Usul al-Falasa, and that book is based on these three questions. It explains who is your Lord, who is your Prophet, and what is your religion in detail. And that book has been explained by one of the contemporary scholars, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih Usaymeen in a very, very comprehensive and important a book called The Explanation of the Three Principles. While well, looking at that book, it's really, really beneficial. It explains these three questions that everyone, every human being will be asked at the time of their death, and only those will be able to answer who Allah makes firm at that time, and Allah will make firm those who believed in Him in this world and who worshipped Him and who obeyed Him. And we ask Allah for firmness and asabat we ask Allah as the prophet sallallahu used to say Ya Muqallib al kulub Thabit Qulubana Ala Deenik O the one who turns hearts make our hearts firm on your deen make our hearts firm on your deen and as Allah also mentions in the Quran Rabbana la tuzidq Qulubana Ba'da idh hadaytana Wa hablana min ladunka rahma Innaka anta al-wahhab." O oh, our Lord, do not make our hearts to deviate after you have guided us. Verily you are the one... Uh, oh, and give us mercy from yourself, verily you are the one who gives yani, generously. These two uh, dua, Rabbana la tuzib qulubana ba'da ibh in Surah ali Imran, maybe around 16, 17 or 18 in the beginning of the chapter. O oh, Allah, do not make our hearts deviate after you guided us. It's very important supplication that a Muslim should continuously, daily and regularly say and also, Ya Mukallib Al thabbit Sabbat ala Aladinik, O oh, the one who turns the hearts, O oh Allah, make our hearts firm. That we don't after following the right way, turn to deviation, or after having Iman going to kufr or whatever, make our hearts firm, O oh Allah. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa tubayk. If there are any questions or corrections or comments Uh, We have a few moments, I think, before the event If the sisters have any questions, please send them over quickly Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar Uh, this a question came from the sisters or two questions the first of them the taking of souls taking of souls of the angels of death uh, to all creations thus animals and insects included uh and Imam al concerning this point, he says that we believe in the angel of death, the one that is assigned the Qabd Al the one that is assigned to take the souls of the creatures of all the worlds. But the scholars explained, such as Shaykh Muhammad Ibn Abdul Rahman al-Khumeez explained here the meaning of this statement, that it means that we believe that the angels, that the angel of death that Allah has assigned to take the souls of al alamin al-alameen minas min sakalain this is an expression that's used to refer to two creatures from the creatures of Allah that means the humans and jinn the humans and jinn as for animals, insects and others Allahu Alam is there anything like such ghost or is there anything such as ghost what is your opinion about it? what is your opinion about it? I don't know exactly what ghosts are, I mean uh, the word is not something that I hear commonly, we used to use it when I was a child, we used to see movies and things about ghosts. Uh, But um, in any case, perhaps what people refer to as ghosts, perhaps uh, it may refer to one of two things. It may refer to jinn, which are creatures, real creatures that Allah created from fire. Their nature is different than the human beings and sometimes they can be seen. Sometimes they can be seen. Uh, Or it's more likely that what it may refer to and Allah knows best, it may refer to the soul of a human being that has died and it is reported authentically from the Muslims and even scholars from amongst the Muslims as Shaykh Ibn Taymiyyah mentions uh, that there were many incidents and occasions that the soul of a human being that was buried in the grave that, uh, that some person saw that person come out of the grave, walk, uh, talk and this means that perhaps it is possible that the soul of a human being which still exists after the person's body after the body is buried in the earth uh, it's possible that uh, someone may see uh, or experience the uh, appearance of the soul of a human being that has passed Uh, this is a topic that Perhaps there is no authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ to confirm it But some of the scholars like Al-Imam Al-Kurtubi In one of his books, I don't remember the title of the book But Al-Imam Al-Kurtubi mentioned it And it's also discussed in some detail By uh, a contemporary scholar Dr. Umar Sulaiman Al-Ashkar In his book um, Al-Qiyamah al wal qiyam al kubra Ya'ani Al-Yawm al In one of his books A series of books in Aqidah He has a book called The Last Day And that book is divided into two parts uh, and, one of, and one part of it deals with al Qiyamah Al-Sugrah Ya'ani The Minor Resurrection And the other one al qiyam al kubra The Major Resurrection Which is Ya'ani When all people will be resurrected And in that book He also in the beginning of the book Mentions about this topic And the sayings of some of the scholars يعني, concerning this matter uh, So Ya'ani Ghosts the idea or the description or the uh, image that people have of a ghost uh, perhaps is something that is not correct or authentic but there may be some basis for it there may be some basis for the experience of some people who experience the return of uh, of someone and perhaps also another possibility is that it may be uh, the experience a person may experience Shaitan coming to them in the shape or the form of a loved one, their parent or their husband or their wife who has passed away before them. Uh, it is reported that Imam Ahmed, he said that, uh, that Shaytan may take the form of a loved one of one of us and may come to you after the death of that person in the form or in the shape of that person and advise you that you are on the wrong religion. They died and they went ahead of you and they said, I found out that Islam is the wrong religion. Christianity is the right religion. Become a Christian. Yes. So it's possible that the person may experience such a thing and they may think that it is the dead person. But in fact it's shaitan taking the form of the dead person, trying to deceive them or mislead them. And Allah knows best. Yeah, I mean the reality of this is something that's not easy to prove. But in any case, there is some discussion about it amongst the scholars. If there is a chance perhaps to read from the chapter concerning this in the book of Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi or perhaps maybe even better than that because it is more summarized uh, and clarified in the book of uh, Shaykh Omar Ashqar, perhaps we will read from it if we have a chance on another occasion and what has been said about this so that it will become more clear. Any other question or comment from the brothers before we leave? So here is a great type of chat to hear about that you write poems along a couple of so I one of the person that is said that she for a very nice the person promise of the. No, Jihad, Jihad, of course there are many types of Jihad you know, Jihad by uh, using your wealth, Jihad by using your, 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 yourself, your body fighting in Jihad physically, Jihad by your efforts in teaching, uh, defending Islam or whatever but the Jihad that we are talking about here is fighting on the battlefield and that Jihad has conditions, rules and regulations that the scholars have mentioned in the books of Fiqh and it means this Jihad is the Jihad in which the armies of the Muslims and the armies of the disbelievers meet on the battlefield. This is the Jihad. As for what might be called uh, assassination attempts or other types of things, yeah, and killing the enemies to any other kind of mean, that's not what we mean by Jihad. Yeah, they, some of those things might be permissible and some of them are not permissible but what we mean by jihad is when the armies of the muslims and the armies of the Kafirs meet on the battlefield they face one another and they fight for the establishment of islam in the earth and the supremacy of the rule of allah and the law of allah on the earth this is jihad if it's any other means or for any other intention or purpose then it's not jihad and allah knows best سبحانك Alaihi Wasallam. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.